Welcome to the CCYC Avaz podcast. I am Dr. Anandini Dar, Assistant Professor and Faculty of Sociology at Ambedkar University, Delhi. And uh, today we are here with Dr. Etheraj Gabriel Dattatren, who is Senior Lecturer at the Goldsmiths University of London um, Department of Anthropology. And uh, today we'll be talking about youth, the cities and the global. And uh, it gives me great pleasure to have uh, Gabriel here with me today, particularly because we first met in a classroom at UPenn, where I was conducting research on youth in Queens, which is where Gabriel's from. And uh, Gabriel was in Delhi at the time, working with youth uh, where I am from. So it almost felt like a swapping of cities and it's quite exciting that today we'll be talking about his book that is recently published um, with the Duke University Press titled The Globally Familiar, Digital Hip Hop, Masculinity and Urban Spaces in Delhi, India. Welcome, Gabriel. Hi, thank you for having me. <laughs> it's quite exciting that um, we're here talking about some of your work and being able to sort of have these exchanges after perhaps eight years when we, you know, reconnected at AUD when we saw each other. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, it's it's just hearing you speak about how we met. I mean, it's now been close to a decade, I would say, from the moment, you know, that we I was planning to go to Delhi and that you were in the U.S. and starting your fieldwork, which yeah. is it's quite incredible to just just to to think of. Yeah, and it's been nice to have been reconnected off late recently. And, um, you know, we were having a chat earlier, of course, about some of the things we wanted to speak of today um, in relation to your book, in relation to some of, uh, you know, our overlapping areas of interest uh, in terms of youth, cities, identities, and sort of the idea of globality. Uh, but sort of to begin with first, um, I think what brings us sort of in this conversation is also our identities and, um, and our experiences as having lived diasporic lives. So um, could you share perhaps or reflect on, you know, while you were working on this book, you know, you were a diasporic Indian working with other young men um, constituting an entirely different diaspora in Delhi. Um, so what was that experience like both as a researcher um, as well, as you know, as your experience personally from having lived across these contexts. Thank you. No, that's a great place to start. So, um, just to give a little bit of a backstory, I arrived in Delhi uh, for the first time, kind of chasing or pursuing the story of hip hop in India in 2011. So, what what kind of compelled me to start to think about this as a phenomena worthy of, uh, of a, a deeper engagement were the videos that I was starting to see pop up on my Facebook timeline, right? By, by mm -hmm. members of my broader diasporic network, right? So uh, Indians, who were in between the US and India, who were going back and forth, who like me had a very persistent contact and persistent relationship with home, but also called the US their home, yeah? 
So these folks were going back and forth and they were spending more time in cities that I had a relationship with, but a very kind of old relationship with, right? So Delhi and Bombay were the cities they were spending time with. Usually when I would go back to India and spend time, I would spend time in the South where my family's from. So Bangalore and Chennai were my, my kind of touchstone cities. So what I was starting to see is um, something quite uh, unexpected that these, these men who were going back were encountering um, hip hop in Jopatpatis, in slums, in informal settlements with young men whose families had recently migrated to each of these cities, right? So they'd migrated in the last, say, 10 to 15 years in search of employment, in search of the promise of the city, right? This, this uh, very kind of 20th century uh, promise of modernity tied to uh, a migration from the rural countryside to the urban center. And so, you know, I, I was immediately curious um, and interested in these, these young men, right? Because they weren't the, the elites. They weren't the, the young men, say, that I'd met in the 90s or early 2000s who were coming from Delhi and Bombay to New York to buy records, right? Uh, to DJ exclusive parties. These were very different, different young people. And so I started to kind of follow and trace and track these videos. So I started with the videos, right? And I was just kind of collecting them. And then I decided to make my first visit to Delhi in the summer of 2011. And I uh, relied on a contact that I had made. So it was, a, it was a, a man in his early 30s, about the same age, a little bit younger than me who had come to India, who had returned back to India in the early 2000s after, um, after losing his right to stay in the US for very complicated reasons. And it started to teach hip hop dance in Bombay and Delhi. So he was a big b-boyer back in the, in the States. He'd grown up very close to where I'd grown up in Queens. And um, I reached out to him and he kind of connected me. He made, he made my first connections, young people in the city. Um, and so, you know, what was interesting there was that right away there was a diasporic connection, right? A diasporic connection through this, this man who acted as a kind of gatekeeper, um, letting me into a scene, introduced me to some of the young people. But there was also another kind of element, as you rightly kind of touched, maybe touched upon in your question, right? That these young people were also diaspora in the sense that they were coming from various parts of India, mostly rural, right, um, places. So either the mountains of, um, of uh, you know, just to the north, Uttarkhand, right? Mm -hmm. um, or the plains, so east, east of Delhi towards uh, Bihar. Mm -hmm. or um, in the kind of agrarian farm villages of UP. Um, some are coming from further afield, some from the south, some from the west, right? So from Gujarat and Rajasthan and, and, and so on. But they were all arriving to the city as newcomers, right? They, 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 their claims to the city, their relationship to the city was being forged in their own kind of uh, forging of their 
of their adult selves, right? So their youthful becomings were, also, were, were kind of folded into their relationship with the city. And why I use the term, or why I think it might be interesting to use the term diaspora to describe them, is because they had um, what one could classically call kind of the home experience or the, the relationship with home that was not where they were, right? Okay. Um, and so home was a village far away. Home was a, vi a village where, you know, so often young men that I met in Delhi would pull out their phones and show me short videos of their village and their grandparents and their pa grandparents like, you know, chasing a chicken or something, <laughs> like a very rural lifestyle. And they would tell me about, you know, going up there and being able to escape the city from time to time. They would take the train, the bus, the train and the bus and go. But the other reason I think it's, you know, an interesting concept to work with when thinking about these young, young men, diaspora, is because their relationship with the city was much like, right, the post-colonial relationship of diaspora, whether mm -hmm. South Asian or African in the global north, where, you know, moving to urban centers meant a kind of not quite citizenship, right? Yeah. Yeah. That, that one wasn't quite included or folded into the, the, the nation state project and the project of citizenship. And that got uh, played out, whether we're talking about New York or we're talking about Delhi, in the ways that these young men were policed on the street, in the ways that they were assumed to have a particular life trajectory. Right? And so I think diaspora works for us to kind of think about the nation state project of India and the ways class, caste, religion, region and language shape what is or isn't possible for young men, right? In particular, that was my focus. Young men in a city like Delhi can have access to or not. I think it's a very interesting idea that uh, about, you know, framing their lives as diasporic lives and then connecting in that way with yours. Because we've, I mean, most of the literature tends to just focus on sort of this rural to urban migration. I mean, we have other scholars who've written about, um, you know, men migrating to urban centers and cities. But the sense about, you know, you know, with the right to city move, if you want to think of it from that frame, or, um, you know, access to housing and um, who's allowed to be where in the city is definitely governed in very different and new ways that oftentimes, um, you know, um, immigrant and migrant populations face across when they travel across, you know, national borders. Um, so cities now in India too are becoming these sort of um, silos or these spaces where, um, you know, we need to, that are being protected, governed, regulated, and all the things that you mentioned. Of course, your trajectory was through hip hop and your own sort of personal location in Queens, and that's quite exciting to hear. Um, and of course, I mean, this makes me think of um, sort of how then, you know, this category of, of youth in particular, whether that has something to do, you know, what does it do when we relate youth with the category of the city or when, you know, what makes it distinct, um, whether we think of it from the frame of youth studies, um, you know, I think of uh, Saskia Sassen's early work on 
you know, the global city when I'm thinking of this question, but how does locating young people in the city uh, alter or shape, reshape the city for us, if we want to think of it in that way? And I'm also more interested in sort of, um, if I can tag on a second question to this, how does, you know, then your central concept of the globally familiar or what you call as a feeling of connectedness relate with, say, people in other global cities? Yeah, no, that's great. Um, so I'll start with the category of youth, right? Mm -hmm. I think, um, and then I'll move into cities and the globally familiar. Yeah, so sorry. the category of youth, you know, the, the, <laughs> it's, it's a long question, but it's a good one. And the, the links are really nice. So, so I think that, you know, the way that I have approached um, the category of youth is vis-a-vis -vis Deborah Durham's idea of youth as a shifter. Right, and I think that works really well when we start to think about young people's lives in in um, urban India, right, and particularly young people who've come from the the so-called hinterlands, right, to the to the city. So on the one hand, right, youth is a category in India that is um, celebrated, right. So India has. I think something like 600 million people under the age of 30. It is a huge market, right? It is a space for uh, uh, expropriation and accumulation, right? Um, corporations salivate over this number and recognize its potential for, right, for profit. It is a political category in the sense that the 600 million people de will determine the future and uh, of India as an electoral, right, uh, block. So it, it has that valence. And so there's, there's, you know, there's a lot of excitement and possibility that are, that are linked to this category. But when you start to modify the category, when you start to kind of think of the category through the lens of caste or religion, you start to see that there's another valence, right? That, that comes through and that's the one that, uh, that's the valence that Foucault talks about quite a bit when he writes about youth, right? Which is this category of moral panic. It becomes a category of moral panic, right? There's this fear that young people today in India and particularly in the urban centers recognizable, right? And that particularly those who are coming from the hinterlands are not only creating a future that's unrecognizable but dangerous and a threat to the future, right, of, of an India that's coming into shape or being formed under this current political regime. And so youth has all of these valences simultaneously. And so when we start to think about young people in the city, you know, the city again itself is a space of threat, moral dissolution, um, but also a space for potential, for possibility, right? It's the economic engine of the country. You know, you're seeing these two kind of almost polarized understandings of each category come into contact once you start working with young people in a city. And they, that's, so one thing that I recognized very quickly in my ethnographic work was young people understood this. They maybe didn't, you know, they didn't have the specific language, but they had a sense that they were both a threat and a possibility. And the city was both a danger, a potential space for, um, for maybe losing oneself or for coming to some sort of harm, 
but it also held the promise of a different kind of future. And so, so the globally familiar really is trying to think about these, these complex kind of um, interpenetrations of threat, danger, and promise vis-a-vis -vis the smartphone, vis-a-vis -vis, uh, social media and the digital. And so what I'm arguing with the globally familiar is that young people have recognized that through these technologies, they can play with, interrupt, produce understandings of themselves in the city that are potentially valuable, that are potentially valued, and that through that, they can make the promise of the city come alive for them. And um, so, you know, through, through most of the book, I'm tracking that feeling that comes from that potential of connectedness, but not just connectedness, connectedness towards a, a particular material social possibility that lies somewhere in the near or distant future, yeah? So, so I think, you know, the, the Globally Familiar is really trying to do the work of, of um, thinking about youth imaginaries as they materialize into something concrete vis-a-vis -vis production, circulation of audiovisual content, in this case, hip hop content. Um, one last thing I'll say is, um, you know, the danger, the danger of their positions as youth modified by their religious status or their caste status is always, was always present when I was there, it continues to be present. And that danger actually, you know, what, what I found interesting and connected to another city that I know very well, my city, like New York, right, is that danger can be an asset. Danger, if mobilized properly, can become a way to accrue value, right? By representing danger, by courting danger, by, you know, um, being kind of uh, uh, embodied or, or taking up one's embodiment as a, as, as a male in a particular way and, 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 and embracing danger, one can reap particular kinds of rewards. That's very interesting, Gabriel. Um, you know, as you were talking, um, I was thinking if you could maybe share just a snippet of, you know, um, an articulation by maybe one of the young men uh, from your ethnography where they really sort of um, were able to emphasize this dyad that they're caught between a threat and possibility of being in the city. Like, was there any certain specific moment that comes to your mind um, where one of your, um, you know, participants in the study shared something that made you really reflect on this idea even more? Sure. I think the one that sticks out most in my head is uh, some, a story that wasn't in the book that happened many years after my um, initial fieldwork. So I keep going back, right? And I have these relationships now with young people that now have spanned, some, in some cases, nine, almost 10 years. And so I've watched these young men grow up, right? So some of them I met when they were 15 and they're now 24. Some I met when they were 18 and they're now, you know, closing in on 30. So, so you know, there, there's this duration, I think, that um, is quite interesting and important when we think about youth studies. Um, you know, um, having this kind of uh, longitudinal ethnographic relationality, right, to a place and to people, I think opens up 
the potential um, uh, for youth studies in, in all sorts of ways. But that, that's another. That's another. so. So there's this young uh, young man named Jay. And um, in my book talk, I use this story because I, I like to kind of keep things, you know, fresh and not go back to the book. So back in 2019, I went to go see him and um, he had done really well for himself in the, in the years since I had been in Delhi last. So he had just gotten a record deal from Sony India and he had invited me to his home studio. So he, he lives with his father and now he's able to, he's been able to, have his mother join them. So his mother was living in Uttarakhand. So she came down, she was able to join them in uh, Jopadpati in South Delhi, right? So since I had last been to his house, he, because of, of the money he'd been able to make, was able to build a, build a second story to, his, to his, his house, his little house in this informal settlement. And in that second story, he had built a studio. So he was playing me some of the tracks that he had made for Sony. And as he was playing these tracks for me, he was saying, listen, you know, there was a lot of anxiety in his voice, right? So he, he had made it in a sense, right? Like, unlike many of the young men um, who I met in Delhi, who were still hoping to make it, he had actually gotten a record deal and was doing well for himself. But the, the anxiety of failure, right, of the potential for failure, the responsibility that he was starting to feel now as someone who's in his 20s taking care of his parents, right? And he was like, listen, this contract goes only for three years. Um, and after three years, what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to continue to make money? Now, he had been very sick when I was in Delhi and, you know, in the 2013-14 period. He had um, had some lung issues that continued on. And so he started to talk to me about his health. And then finally, he talked to me about marriage, right? So he started to tell me that he had gotten married and divorced in the last three years. And that woman that he had gotten married to was um, someone from a, a, a upper caste and middle class background. And when it actually came time for him and her to live together, he wanted her to live in this house that he had built an extra floor on, partially for her, right? That she didn't want to move in. And then the family pressure on her side, the fact that she had married him, ended up ruining the relationship. And so they, they ended up getting a divorce, right? So for this young man to say all of this at once left me with, like, what, what, what is threat in this situation, right? The threat is the failure to be able to reproduce family, the nuclear, the, the, the heteronormative, right? Mm -hmm. um, the failure to realize the potential for new social arrangements through an inter-caste right, inter marriage, right? Through an, a, a cross-class relation. So these failures, plus the kind of pressure, right, of having to generate enough income to take care of one's loved ones, was very imminent and close, um, and very much right on the, on the, on the, you know, the tip of his tongue when I, when I saw him. And he wasn't alone. There was many of the, these 20-somethings now who were starting to think along these lines. Thanks, Gabriel. Yeah, that's kind of, I mean, the possibility with the record and this sort of and danger sort of just really get encapsulated in this, you know, experience, this life 
trajectory of this young man. So one final question then, uh, Gabriel, uh, that we've been thinking about in terms of ideas around cities, young people, and in particular, you know, thinking about um, this idea of modernity. So um, Divya and I have also been working on this idea for an edited volume that's coming out hopefully soon. And um, I wanted to understand what were your thoughts on the idea of, um, you know, modernity and young people's engagements with modern life in context of India? And how does the notion of modernity inform global connectedness or rather even disconnectedness? Yeah, that's a great question. So I don't ever use the concept modernity in the book because I, I think in some ways the concept has been overburdened um, and has been asked to do a lot more work uh, conceptually than it possibly can. But I think I can, I can kind of maybe offer a line into how I think about the concept, right? So for me, uh, genealogically, the concept modernity um, is most interesting if we start with the Benjaminian, a Walter Benjamin kind of approach to modernity, which really thinks about modernity as a, a kind of um, relationship with past, present, future, and a relationship with the past, present, future vis-a-vis -vis image making, right? Um, and so, you know, Benjamin spends quite a bit of time writing about two things. One, the city, Right. And, um, you know, he writes quite a bit about movement in the city and the city is a kind of mirror image. Right. A mirroring of self and how subjects get produced through a relationship with the city. But then he also writes about the image itself. Right. The photographic image. And he's really fascinated with this technology of reproduction and he connects modernity to this this apparatus, right? This apparatus of um, image reproduction. And so, you know, my book is completely and totally about uh, an instantaneous reproduction of images of self and city, right? And that very dialectic relationship between the two. And what I found incredibly fascinating and I continue to find fascinating is that iterative relationship that young people have, whether it's in Delhi or New York or anywhere, right, between what they produce as an image, whether it's textual, right, in 280 characters on Twitter as an image or an image qua image, right, and a, a photograph, and their relationship with the place that they live in. And so for me, uh, you know, an interesting opening into modernity starts there. It starts with, well, what are we reproducing, right? As life in cities. Um, and, and what are we kind of imagining the circulations of those representations of life, one's own life, other people's life, right? In the city, um, in, in the networks or circuits of the digital. And what are, we, what are we kind of hoping for in that circulation, right? What are we looking for? No, I think those are quite provocative um, thoughts that you've left us with and uh, something we hope that um, can continue to be uh, engagement and perhaps more scholars in India would be able to think through modernity in relation to cities through what you're saying and this idea of imaging and what that does. Um, so thanks, Gabriel. My pleasure. My pleasure. So good to talk to you.